Today we have on a pretty special guest. This is actually the first guest I've really kind of interviewed outside of my friends. So I kind of know Ashley a little bit, but I mean, you know, a little bit intimidated by her resume. I mean, holy cow, she's got 57 fastest known times, aka FKTs. Absolutely incredible. She's got the FKT for women in the on the JMT whole bunch of these other routes, Lost Coast Trail. I mean, she is a badass woman and I was thankful to interview her. So, let's 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 dive into it. We got a bunch of stories here and if especially if you're into FKTs and pushing yourself, this is going to be some good stuff. Okay. Well, we have Ashley Winchester here. And Ashley, I just got to say, the the way I found you, by the way, as I'm starting this podcast, the way I actually found you was hearing that you crushed the JMT FKT. That's how I actually <laughs> heard about you. And so if you're not opposed, I would love to jump into that right away. I, I want to know just for myself all about this JMT FKT. <laughs> just just jumping right into it. <laughs> just jumping right in. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love talking about the John Muir Trail. It's one of my favorite trails in the whole entire world. And I love the Sierras. So I'm um, mm -hmm. always happy to talk about the JMT. And that's yeah. like, that's a trail, a route, an FKT, uh, you know, backpacking experience that I hold very near and dear to my heart. And so yes. happy, happy to talk about it. Now, so when I did the John Muir Trail, it was incredibly difficult. I went northbound out of Cottonwood Pass and it was way harder than I thought. For whatever reason, I thought it was kind of a family trail or something. I don't know why I thought about this. But it's one of the most isolated trails, I would say, kind of in the U.S. Like, you don't cross a road for forever. So where did you go? Uh, did you start in Yosemite and then go to Whitney or Whitney to Yosemite? And how did, how did that all go plan out? Yeah, so I went southbound um, from Happy Isles, which is like the official start of mm -hmm. the John Muir Trail to um, Mount Whitney. And then, of course, Whitney Portal, because Mount, the summit of Mount Whitney is the official end of the trail. But then you mm -hmm. still have to get yourself down from there, right, right? Yeah. <laughs> to the trailhead. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so I went southbound. Um, the way it all came about, so I actually backpacked the JMT over 16 days. So but like leisurely-ish, like some mm -hmm. people take 21 days, some people take mm -hmm. like 14 days. Um, so I was like right around 16 days with my friend mm -hmm. in 2019. And we did it mm -hmm. actually, 2019 was kind of an epic snow year for the Sierras. It was. And, and this year is actually like, it looks like we they might end up beating 2019 out with yeah. the snow levels, but um, wow. kind of an epic snow year. My friend and I started early July and it was, it was quite the adventure, like super snowy, um, like more than 50% of the trail was under snow. There weren't a lot of people on the trail. Um, so it was, you know, like there was no trail to follow in some spots. We were just route finding with our GPS and, um, lots of people bailing out going up and over the passes was like, man, I wish I had my ice axe. <laughs> they were sketchy, um, super high river crossings. I mean, it was like, it was a pretty wild adventure just backpacking it in 2019. And sure. like, it is a hard trail. So on top of that, the elevation gain and loss is insane. And you're at high elevations, like you're above 9,000 feet mm -hmm. pretty much the entire time. Once the you entire time. 
Yosemite Valley. So it's like, it's not an easy trail. Um, but in 2019, after backpacking it, I was like, man, I'd really like to fast pack this in like under seven days. And the FKT, well, at the time, like I knew of FKTs, I hadn't started my little FKT journey yet, but um, I knew of FKTs and I was like, I don't think I can get the FKT on this route, but I'd like to do it in under seven days. And so that has always kind of stuck with me um, ever since I did uh, that kind of more leisurely, leisurely, quote unquote, backpacking trip in 2019. Um, and then in uh, 2021, I went ahead and I put in for a permit for the JMT from, I wanted to go southbound, um, starting at Happy Isles. And if you're familiar with the JMT, which I'm assuming you are, but I don't know about your listeners, um, it's really hard to get a permit out of Happy Isles, out of Yosemite Valley. Um, not just to like start the JMT, but then I needed a special permit to pass through Little Yosemite Valley, which is up the trail like eight miles or something, um, and exit over Donahue Pass. And so it was like a very specific um, permit that I needed to get. And I actually, in 2021, I got the permit and it was for like early September. I was like, great. There's like, you know, low river crossings, like the weather's usually a little bit more mild as far as like the afternoon thunderstorms. Fantastic. Well, I got shut down like the week before I was supposed to start. Um, I got shut oh, down man. by wildfire. And so I was, I was heartbroken, right? Like I'd had this plan since 2019 of this idea that I was gonna, like going to go for a, you know, sub seven day JMT fast pack. Um, and then this last year, actually 2022, um, put in for permits, never got them. And I was kind of like, well, okay, you know, that's fine. I, in the, at the beginning of last year, I actually was on this crazy um, trip down in Argentina. I was guiding on Aconcagua, which is a almost 23,000 foot peak nice. in Argentina. And the whole entire team ended up getting COVID at 18,000 feet um, at camp two. And I was coughing so hard that I actually like injured my ribs and I recovered from that. And then I got COVID again. And then I got flu. It was just like this crazy, like months of being sick and injured. And so I was kind of like, maybe it's not a great idea that I do wow. the JMT this year. Right. Um, but then, so come July of last year, I was in Yosemite and I just randomly was like, you know, I wonder if there's any permits available for the JMT, just curious, like go on the recreation.gov check. And there's a permit for a week from that day. It, the exact permit that I need from happy Isle, little Yosemite pass through exit over Donahue pass. And I was like, ah, you know, I got excited. And I just like grabbed the permit paid for it and was like, here we go. And then I like full on panicked. Cause I didn't actually end up training for the John Muir trial. Like I, I guided a couple of three-day backpacking trips here and there. Um, and then it was like, okay, you know, my running was really poor. I think the the highest mileage week that I had before starting the John Muir Trail was um, like 30 miles. And it was the week before starting the trail. So I was like, I am not trained for this. I was fully ready to like bail out at any point. And I was like, okay, 
but I have to try. Like, I just feel like I need to do this. <laughs> right. Um, and so I actually, I guided a three day backpacking trip in that week before starting the John Muir trail. And then I had like two days to prep. And so I just like threw together my favorite gear, my favorite snacks my favorite foods and tried to go as light as possible. And I was suddenly at the trailhead and, and starting my very long walk. <laughs> Unbelievable. I don't know if people, heard, if people caught that, but you literally just did this FKT with no training, randomly selected, got a permit that was like, happened to be there. Yeah. Just boom, <laughs> jump, but knowing that you weren't fully trained for it or that you weren't trained exactly maybe the way that you would like to do it, you were just like, yes. I need to take this, this opportunity. Yep. That's exactly it. I was like, I don't know, like, when am I going to get this opportunity again? Those permits are so hard to come by. Yeah. And so I was just kind of like, all right, we're, we're doing this and we're going to just see what happens. And so I definitely, like, I always have emergency plans in place. So I wasn't going into it with yeah. this idea that like, you know, I have no out, like I always have, you know, I'm, I'm very, <laughs> I'm actually uh, very risk avert. Like I don't sure. take a lot of risks. Um, and so that part, like that's very calculated for me. So I, I wasn't, I just want to make it clear. Like I wasn't like throwing myself into this, um, kind of going like, well, if things go awry, like I'm screwed. It was, that was very calculated. Um, but it definitely was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get the FKT on this. And I actually planned for seven days on the JMT. So I had, you know, and you, you have to carry a, a bear canister. So I rented one of those like carbon fiber bear canisters. Um, and I actually did get checked by a ranger. So it is important to carry those things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I rented a bear canister, um, a like super lightweight one and packed seven days worth of food as a, like, just in case. Um, and then I had like my eagle, my beagle and my seagull, my eagle would have been like, you know, four days would have been like the perfect, like this is, you know, if I was in great shape and, you know, had tons of planning and was able to like get this thing, you know, I, four days would have been ideal. Um, from there, it was like five to six days was kind of my beagle. And then my seagull was like, you know, the original, like, let's do this thing in under seven. Um, and so. I, I was ready for seven days out on the trail. Unreal. Let, let me ask you this. Do, so you had a, a nice, a good kind of soft plan coming in, at least with, with days that you wanted to complete it. Do you do any type of like visualization of that prior to going out on the trail? Do you do any of that? Visualize, yeah, yeah. I mean, I like to, because I am a planner and I don't, like taking risks, I do envision like, what are the things that can go wrong and how am I going to like get through those? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think about like dehydration and I think about like running out of food and I think about freezing to death. I think about storms. Um, and I like, I do kind of in like, think about those things and envision what would I do in those situations? And so I actually okay. go into it 
fairly ready to take on those kind of, you know, those kind of adversities. Um, I don't, as much as I like to think about like what it would feel like to, to finish and like, you know, get the end and like have that, you know, celebratory thing, like it feels good to envision those things, but, and it feels good to envision things going really well for you. Mm -hmm. Um, but then I also feel like if you're envisioning, you know, the end and you're getting those like warm, fuzzy feelings of like finishing it, well then in your mind, like your, your body is already like, feels like it's finished. Like I've already celebrated like that. You can actually like create those feelings within the body. And so when you're in it and you're envisioning that end, it actually makes it harder to get through, I think some kinds of adversity and like, you know, getting over those, those speed bumps and, um, the things, all the things that go wrong. Cause things do go wrong out there. <laughs> like, so I always say ultra running and any backpacking, anything like that is, it's just, it's like advanced problem solving. You have to be like yeah, a really, really good problem solver. It's one of my favorite things about backpacking actually is, is mm -hmm. that problem solving. And that's one of the things I, I love about guiding backpacking trips is because I can teach some of that problem solving too. Mm. Um, and you know, that's what I love about wilderness medicine. It's like, there's all of the, it's like puzzles that you can like sort of put together and figure out. And I love that. Um, really is. yeah. We talked about, uh, you talked about being risk adverse. I think a lot of people that are outside of the outdoor community, sometimes <clears throat> they see individuals that do some do the jmt do an fkt do rock climbing do this or that and they assume that we're very risky individuals extremely yeah. risky i used to hear this at my old job all the time wow yep. why don't you just stay home for the weekend why don't you do this and that have you ever had <laughs> have you ever experienced any of that kind of talk before and what's maybe your response to that Oh, absolutely. I think everybody who does anything in the outdoors um, gets that kind of talk sometimes. I mean, even even people who are just day hiking, like, oh, you went you went up there, that's dangerous. Or like, you went alone, that's dangerous. Like, why would you do that? What, but like, my response is, one, why wouldn't I do something that makes me feel alive? Like, it is, I love being outdoors so much. I love being alone, solo in the wilderness mm -hmm. so much. I love like all of the things, even the, like the problems that pop up. I love those things so much. And they make me feel so alive and make me feel more myself than I am in any other situation. Why would I stop doing that? Um, you know, like, I, yes, there is risk involved, but there's risk involved whenever you get into your car and drive across town. Like, that's, it's just part of life. Like mm -hmm. there is risk in everything we do. And if I decided to stay home and, and, you know, be safe, then, you know, what am I, I'm risking like being unhealthy, having an unhealthy body, you know, I'm risking health problems in the future. It's like, there's, there's all of these things that like, and sure, I could exercise at home, but then I don't feel alive. Like mm -hmm. there's, there's just so much wrapped up into that. And I don't know, I, I don't, I don't find it useful engaging in those kinds of conversations with people, especially if they're like, you know, wagging their finger at me and, you know, telling me that I'm going to use up resources or whatever. I mean, humans, 
we are animals and we thrive when we're outdoors and we need that in our lives. And I need that in my life. I know I need that in order to be a happy, healthy person. So I'm just not going to stop. Yeah. I love that. I love that. That's a great response. That's probably what I'll title the podcast. I think the, why wouldn't I want to do something that makes me feel alive? I love that. And, and, you know, I think people also, they underestimate the amount of training and stuff that we do on a continual basis to be fit in the mountains. Like you, before the, before we started recording the podcast, Ashley's like, oh yeah, I just, you know, I don't have much going on this afternoon except for I'm going to go to the gym and got to do a run. So it's like, we're prioritizing that every single day. And like, we're also prioritizing education um, outside of that too. Because I'm sure that you, you pro- I mean, you're, well, first of all, you, you kind of alluded to this, but you're a, you're also a guide. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a backpacking guide. I also guide on Mount Shasta. Um in Northern California, which is a 14,000 foot peak, um, with some technical aspects to it. And yeah, I, you know, risk is part of my job. It's also something I've been trained to recognize and see. And I think the, the more time you spend outdoors, the more time that you put into the education of, you know, learning how to read terrain and stuff like that, it actually becomes safer. Um, you know, I've taken avalanche courses and, (laughs) um, wilderness medicine courses and there is, you know, mountaineering courses and I'm actually going to further my education and, and take more Alpine mountaineering guiding courses. And so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of education involved in it. And the more, you know, the safer you can be and the better decisions you can make. (laughs) Mike Mike drop right there. I always think back to rock climbing. I I remember when I started bouldering, there was a guy in the gym that used to rope climb quite a bit. And he kept trying to get me to go outside and rock climb. And I was just like, I'm good, dude. Like I maybe a bucket list thing, but like, I'm good. Like, I don't want to take on that risk, whatever. But I ended up going with him and just like learning more stuff about it. And as I started to learn more of the the just the nuances of it and the safety mechanisms and the double checks and the triple checks and all of that type of stuff. I was like, Oh, you can actually make this very, very safe. But to an outside person, it's, it's, you're on a wall with a rope that could break that could, you know, this (laughs) or that, they could drop you. And, and so, yeah, so I, you're absolutely right. I I totally agree with the more education, the more, um, more safer you can make it. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I started, when I started rock climbing, I started in outdoor on outdoor rock and on like, you know, I think the first climb I ever did was like a 50 foot pitch and it was terrifying. Um, and (laughs) my friend that I went with was like, just trust the rope, trust the rope, trust the rope. And I was like, I, this little rope, like, how am I supposed to trust this thing? And I actually couldn't, I didn't trust it until I fell on it. And then I was like, Oh, this thing really works. And these knots actually work. And the more I learned about it and played with it, the, the more I realized that like, oh, this actually can be very safe. It can be very dangerous. Like obviously people die and get injured rock climbing and, you know, doing outdoor things. But um, yeah, the, the more, you know, and the better practices that you put in place, like the safer it actually is. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. Going back to the JMT real quick. <laughs> yeah. 
we got a little sidetracked, but that was my fault. But <laughs> hey, we had some good we had some good conversations there. Yeah, it was good stuff there. <laughs> so going back to the JMT real quick, you you talked about the JMT being a, a very tough trail, and it is a very tough trail. I don't think a lot of people know that. Just like you said, you're above nine thousand feet for pretty much the entire trail. I mean, yeah. I mean, you're just in the alpine the entire time almost. I mean, and typically what it looks like is you go up you do a pass you come back down into the valley you go up to a pass you go down into the valley but you're still at like over nine thousand feet what was that fkt okay how would you contrast your fkt versus the leisurely backpack that you had of the 16 days like what were the, <laughs> what were the main differences that you found um well when i did the fkt I, I wasn't in really good running shape and I had like a, I don't know, 12 pounds on my back or something. Um, and so there wasn't actually a lot of running during that FKT. I did jog out a bit on the very last, very last day, which was weird, um, because I was so sleep deprived, but that was like the, the biggest difference there. It was that when I backpacked it in 16 days, you know, we hiked the, our planned, mileage for the day we set up camp it was still light outside we got good sleep every single night we ate really really well and you know we had a resupply um it was like it was like very pretty comfortable backpacking like comfortable tent and comfortable pad um except for on that trip my pad kept deflating in the (laughs) in the middle of the night and i didn't have anything to fix it so that was like one big learning uh, one big lesson I had there, but, um, when I did the, the FKT on it, I actually, um, hardly slept like maybe, I think I got maybe six hours of sleep for the whole six days that I was out there. Um, let me, hold on. <laughs> let me stop right there. You got six hours of sleep in six. You're averaging one hour of sleep for six days. Yeah. And that's moving your body the entire time. I was trying to move my body the whole time. It was, it was so hot. I really struggled with dehydration and some electrolyte problems during the FKT um, that slowed me down like crazy. And then because of the heat and the sweat, um, my feet just like blew up with blisters. It was nuts. And like all of my tried and true blister care stuff just like wasn't really cutting it. Um, so I, after day one, I actually like made really good progress in the first 24 hours of the FKT. And I was like, Oh my gosh, if I can keep this up, I'm like, I'm going to do it in like four and a half days. And I was so excited. But then like, you know, the second 24 hours rolls around. I actually, when I started the FKT at Happy Isle in Yosemite Valley, there was a big fire nearby. And so everything was just like super smoky. All of Yosemite was like just so smoky. And I started coughing within the first couple of hours of being out on trail. And I actually was like, well, maybe this, this might be dangerous. Like maybe I should consider bailing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm just like start off the first 24 hours with this horrible cough. Well, I went up and over Donahue Pass and the next morning was like totally clear outside. I mean, like no smoke. And I was like, great, it's on. Um, and, but then I had this like lingering cough and I started coughing stuff up. Um, 
just like, you know, really productive cough is super painful. And I, again, was like, well, maybe I shouldn't keep pushing. Um, you know, maybe I should just kind of like either go slow and take it easy or, and like give up on the FKT or like bail out. But I didn't feel that bad and I wasn't having any breathing problems at elevation. So I was like, okay, if it's just a slightly productive cough, I'm going to keep pushing. But that slowed me, that slowed me down a bit too, um, going into day two. And, um, but the biggest thing was the sleep deprivation for me because I was hardly sleeping. Um, so my, my initial plan going into it was I was going to move for 20 hours and then sleep for four or like rest for four hours. So 20 hours of like solid movement, four hours of rest. Well, after the first, the first day, like the first daylight hour, um, if that makes sense, I started, like, I started the FKT at like 10 AM. And so I think I laid down for, for my four hour sleep at like 2 AM or something like that. And then, um, just like couldn't sleep. And so I was tossing and turning. I, you know, like my muscles were already kind of achy and my hips were kind of achy and I'm laying on a Z pad. Um, so it's not like super cushy. Um, so in the first four hours that I tried to lay down, I got maybe like two hours of rest. And after that, I was like, man, maybe it's not worth trying to sleep for four hours straight. Like maybe I should try and spread out my sleep throughout the day so that I'm just like, so I can actually sleep when I'm supposed to sleep. And so from then on, I pretty much would just, I think on, uh, the second night I laid down for like two hours, um, slept for maybe an hour of that. And from there on, I was just like, okay, when I get so tired that I can't walk in a straight line anymore, I'm going to sit down, take a nap and 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and then I'm going to get up and keep going. Um, because I found like 20 to 30 minutes was the amount of time that I actually could be like comfortable and asleep. And then from there it was like, oh, my hips ache or, you know, like my back hurts or something. So I'm just like, then I'm just tossing and turning. So I actually, um, would just sit down, lay down, put my feet up on a rock and, or a tree and like elevate my feet and then pass out for 20 minutes and then wake up feeling refreshed and keep going. <laughs> I, I was so gonna, I was, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna ask, how did you, did you feel pretty good after that hour of sleep ish? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, relatively like an hour is, you know, you're still tired. You, you just want to rest. Um, I mean, even if you're like laying in your bed and you sleep for a solid hour, that's a great nap, but it's not a sleep. Mm. Um, so it definitely like, it was always hard to get up and get moving. It was always, you know, difficult to get my mind into the sort of the right frame of mind to like, know that I have days of this ahead of me. Um, and you know, it's not just one night of bad sleep. It's like consecutive nights of bad sleep. And that really adds up over time. And I've, I've had sleep deprivation in the past of like two to three days. Um, but never five days or six days. And so, you know, going into that four or five, six days, that was a, that was a little bit of an experiment for me. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, but I mean, to answer your question, yes, I did. So I would feel pretty refreshed after 
um, after a 20 to 30 minute nap. Well, that's unbelievable. Very, very well. You, you, I guess you surprised yourself maybe with, uh, I did deprivation on this FKT. Yeah. Well, so I knew that sleep deprivation was going to be a thing for me because I'm, I'm not really like a very fast runner or a like very fast hiker, but I can just keep moving forever. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I knew that that was going to be my superpower kind of going into this. And, um, I, I knew that speed wasn't going to be the thing that got me through this. <laughs> it was going to be just yeah. consistency. And so, um, so I, I knew going into it, the sleep deprivation was going to be an issue. And, um, you know, things get really wild when you're sleep deprived, like hallucinations and just your mind plays so many weird tricks on you. Um, and so, yeah, I was, I was prepared for that going into it. Yeah. That's a common theme I hear from people is that, and, and that's how I, I view myself as well as I'm not very fast. I, I'm not like extremely athletic, you know, that all that type of stuff. But what I like to do and what I feel like I'm pretty good at is being consistent, like constant forward progress, CFP. Yeah. Andrew Skirka <laughs> talks about is yeah CFP and I feel like everybody's asked how do you run 100 miles and how do you do this or that or how do you do an FKT and it's yeah it's just it's constantly going forward yeah constantly going forward yeah relentless yeah. yes <laughs> relentless forward progress yes. yeah was there anything I mean because you're doing I mean, you're pretty much doing the bulk of your hiking at night or uh, running hiking at night. Was there anything, I mean, I guarantee you had some hallucinations and things like that. Was there oh, any yeah. actually like, was there any real animals you were seeing at night more so? Was there <laughs> any creepy instances like that? You're probably scaring the crap out of some hikers when you're going past them. <laughs> They're camping. And I, <laughs> I, I tried, I tried to be really aware of the tents that were out there at night. Um, I mean, yes, I have a bright headlamp and, but I would, I don't think that I bothered too many hikers at night. Um, there was actually one instance and I kind of felt bad about this at the, the very, very last night. Um, I was at Guitar Lake. So like mm -hmm. just below Mount Whitney. Yeah. Um, and there's like a lot of camping along there. A lot of people camp there and then some at Mount Whitney the next day. Um, and I was walking through there at like 2 a.m. And there was this tent. Well, I, first of all, I was having that by that time, it was like so, I was so sleep deprived. I was having trouble telling diff the difference between like a big rock and a tent. So I thought big rocks were tents. And then I'd get mm -hmm. up close to it and be like, oh no, that's, that's a rock. Like after like really looking mm -hmm. at it. Um, but when I did see tents, I was kind of relieved um, cause I was like, okay, there's other people here that like, that makes me feel kind of good for sure. But there was one tent that was like right next to the trail. And I had these like reflective bits on it right at the tent flap in the front. And there was a slight breeze and the way the flap was moving with these two little slits. I 
I swear, I thought it was like a mountain lion that was like kind of crouching and like looking at me out of the grass. And so I stopped him dead in my tracks and I'm like staring at this and I'm like, I like clap my hands and yell at it. And it's like, still just kind of like doing this weird (laughs) little movement. And I'm like, what the heck? Oh my gosh, this cat's going to attack me. And I'm like, looking around, (laughs) there's no people. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is it. Like, this is like, this is what people are afraid of and it's happening. And so I actually pull out both of my headlamps and I'm like shining this light. And I realized like, and I start kind of like looking at it going, well, that's really weird. It's like actually like moving strangely now. I thought it was moving cat-like. And then I get a little bit closer. <laughs> it was a tent and I felt so bad because I'm like yelling at it, <laughs> like shining lights directly on it. And I just was like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> They're in there. What is going on out there? I know oh. they probably thought some yeah crazy person was like (laughs) last thing they're thinking is someone their last day of the fkt yeah like coming bumming around through camp i know i would love it if they were actually like listen to this podcast and reached out because i'm sure they were in there going like just be quiet like don't move don't say anything maybe she'll go away (laughs) oh my gosh that's so funny um but as far as like real animal encounters i did um hallucinate animals quite a bit but i i have uh, like my mind is really good at like being very rational. And so for the hallucinations, I'd see this like bear or something that I was hallucinating and I'd look at it and go, well, it's not moving. Like my hallucinations don't move. Like they are very stationary. They're like, they're like, you know, uh, models or whatever. Like they're, Mm -hmm. they don't move. And I, I know that. And so I can like stop and stare at it for a second and go, okay, that animal's not moving. It's not blinking. It's not breathing. It's not real. (laughs) And then the next thing I know I'm walking by, oh, that's a, that's a tree stump or whatever. Um, And, but I didn't have very many like real animal encounters besides a lot of deer. There are tons of deer out there. Mm -hmm. I didn't actually see a real bear along the JMT at all. Um, And I actually, my favorite animal encounter, I think ever, um, happened out there. It was like, again, like somewhere around one or 2 AM and I was laying down to take a nap. And so I like set up my bivy and I crawl in and I have, like, I keep my headlamp on so that I can just like wake up and turn it on and sit up and go. And, you know, I have my headlamp on and I get all comfortable and I hear a stick break and I'm like, mm-hmm. what the heck was that? So I like mm-hmm. sit up, I turn my headlamp on and I'm looking around. I'm like, I don't see anything. I don't see eyes staring at me from anywhere. Like, it's probably not a large animal. Um, okay. Well, then like lay back down, close my eyes. Some like sticks hit me in the face. And I was like, what mm-hmm. the heck? And I turn on my headlamp and look directly up the tree that I was laying at, at the bottom of. And there's a flying squirrel like (laughs) staring at me and it just like chitters and like screams at me and like yells at me and then takes off running i was like oh my god (laughs) a flying squirrel like i've never i knew flying squirrels existed in the sierra but i never thought i'd ever see one and so i was like i was so happy i was like i couldn't sleep for a little while after that i was like just like i want to see him again (laughs) 
was it's really a great cool. sign. That's a yeah. great sign. I would I would say. I almost thought that they were fake, kind of like jackalopes or yeah. something. <laughs> I know everybody that I tell. I'm like, I saw a flying squirrel. They're like, no, there's no way. I'm like, no, it was. I know it was a flying squirrel. It had the skin like flaps on its legs. I could see it. It was. I mean, very let's cute. be honest. With all of your hallucinations, it could. You know, <laughs> I don't know about the credibility with this. I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. But it yeah. did make lots of noise at me. It was very angry. It was a very oh, angry squirrel. That is hilarious. <laughs> that is hilarious. Listeners, let me ask you this: Have you ever left a piece of really important gear behind on one of your trips? Or have you been so scattered with where you put your notes for your trips that you kind of forgot? A critical piece of information because it was something that you wrote down on a notepad that you didn't bring with you. I have a solution for you and it's completely free. It's my free Notion outdoor hiking and adventure trip planner. So, so go in the show notes below, grab it for yourself. It's completely free and keep building. We'll see you later. All right. We'll pretend that we didn't just have to rejoin a Zoom link here. Yeah. <laughs> for commercial break. It's yeah, fine. Commercial. <laughs> Actually, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> so, okay. So we got flying squirrels. We got the John Muir Trail. Now, one thing that you sent me and that I was kind of researching was this Death Valley Crossing. And it sounds like this is something that you attempted twice. and failed both times on this now that is got to be something that because oftentimes we do something and we're like if we fail it the first time okay yes i'm gonna crush it the second time and then you feel good about it right Uh this was this was a double hitter so tell me a little bit first of all like what what is this kind of set up the scene maybe of like what what this kind of challenge was and then what were your thoughts kind of coming out of the second uh, second time you attempted it? Yeah, so uh, everybody knows of Death Valley, right? It's like the hottest place on earth. It's 200 and something feet below sea level. Um, it's a massive national park and it's fairly desolate. Like it's, it's a desert and it's a very hot desert. It's a very dry desert. Um, because of that, Uh, There's no water along, like in Death Valley, unless you are, you know, um, like at the resort or, you know, at one of the water fill stations um, along the roadsides or or something like that. Um, There's no like natural drinkable source of water in Death Valley. The Death Valley Crossing is a route that goes from the northernmost point of Death Valley to the southernmost point. So it's about 160, 165 miles long. It's all off trail. Um, so very route findy. Um, you start actually, Death Valley is surrounded by pretty big peaks. I mean, Telescope Peak is like 11,000 feet. Um, and then Dante's View is like 9,000 feet, I think. And in the north, the mountains that you start in, you start right around 6,000 feet of elevation. Um, And then you drop all the way down into Badwater Basin. But um, it's the thing that makes the route so challenging is that it is um, like the the style behind it is to do it unsupported. That's the way the route was developed, was to do it unsupported, which means you don't drop any caches 
um, ahead of time. So like you don't draw, you don't like create little, um, you know, uh, aid stations or anything like that for yourself ahead of time. You don't get support from other people. So, um, nobody is there to resupply you. Um, and it's, it's all off trail. And so, um, because of that, you can't stash water along the route. And so you're carrying all of your water for 160 miles of off trail travel through a desert. (laughs) Whoa. That's (laughs) yeah. It is. Whoa. It's insane. Um, which I think is one of the reasons that I'm so drawn to it. The the first, like when I first came across this route on the FKT website, I was like that, that is the one I want to do this so bad. Um, and which I maybe that's stupid. I'm not really sure, but um, it, it, like it's created such a challenge for me that I cannot, I can't give, I can't give it up. Um, so the first time I attempted the route was, gosh, I don't remember what year it was like December, 2019, I think. <laughs> I don't quite remember. Um, so I gave it a try. I carried 15 liters of water. Um, and so that's like, what, 33 pounds of water. Of just water. Just water. Just water, folks. Um, and like water, water carries different from other gear. It just, it's like, it. I just haven't found a way to carry that much water very well in my backpack. Like I need some kind of like cylindrical water carrying that just like goes down the center of my backpack to like <laughs> balance out everything yeah. because otherwise the water is just like sitting in the bottom. And even when you put it on top of something, it like creates this weird imbalance. that's really hard to carry. Um, Interesting. It's, yeah. it's almost like having like a wet blanket, like a really super <laughs> heavy wet blanket on you. <laughs> we always, yeah. we, that was the analogy we would have in uh, jujitsu of really good jujitsu people. When you grapple with them, they felt like when they would grapple you, wrestle with them, they were like a wet blanket. You couldn't push them off. Like they were just were like, <laughs> you know, and I kind of envision that possibly with some of the water that you're carrying. How do you even carry 15 liters of water? What are you putting that in? Um, so I have, uh, they're called dromedary bags. So they're, or drums. And so they're like 10 liter bags of water, um, that have like a pour spout. We use them. We use them when we're guiding mountaineering, um, to like store water in so that it like a large volume of water doesn't freeze as much as like, or as hard as like, or as easily as like a small volume of water. So when you like, keep your water stash in a large volume it's it doesn't freeze as easily which there and was so, no issues of that in death valley no <laughs> yeah, but, no yeah um well and like i you know i i attempted this in the winter time so both times so i'm not like in the height of the summer when it's 120 degrees out it's like sure. more like 70 degrees outside 70 nice. to 80 um you know but it gets super cold at night in some yeah. parts of the of death valley and so, um, yeah, the, my first attempt carried 15 liters of water. I did not, I, I didn't anticipate how much water I was actually going to need to drink during that, that one. And I got about a hundred miles into the effort and I'm like, wow, my, 
backpack is feeling kind of light now. And I check my water supply. I have four liters left with 65-ish miles to go. I was like, there's no way. There's absolutely no no way that I'm going to be able to do 65 miles in the desert with four liters of water. Like, that's just stupid. So I bailed on that one. Um, Good choice. Yeah, I feel like that was the wise choice. It was a hard choice to make because after 100 miles and you, you know, carrying 15 liters of water for, you know, I mean, starting with 15 liters of water and it's just, it wears on you. And the first part, you know, it's all off trail. So you're not just like mindlessly following a trail. Like you're, you're, your mind is on, like you have to be on your toes on top of everything, um, route finding all of that. Like death Valley, it seems like it's just flat, but it is like, this network of washes and rocky piles and Mm -hmm. sand dunes. And so you're navigating through all of these washes and like pretty gnarly hills that you're trying to find your way through up and over. Um, And it's really unstable terrain and it's really hard to, to navigate. Um, And so it's like, you have to be, you have to be on your game the whole entire time. And um, yeah, after after a hundred miles and four liters left, I was like, okay, we're done. We are done. And so I went back the next year and I was like, all right, this is it. I'm carrying 20 liters of water. I'm not going to, and if it takes me an extra day or like, you know, an extra half a day, because I'm carrying a little bit more water, so be it. Like I'm going to do this thing. And so like much cooler temps was kind of overcast. I was like, this is great. I'm not going to drink as much water and still have 20 liters. Like this is going to be awesome. And if I get close to the end, I can just dump some water out and like jog it in, you know, like I felt like I had this great plan (laughs) and I got into, um, after two nights out there, I was in day three and I, uh, saw a storm coming in and was like, Oh, I don't have rain gear. (laughs) Um, and it just suddenly starts pouring rain on me. And it's cold now because it's at night. It got cold and I didn't have rain gear. I actually had, I did have a flimsy, like, I mean, it was like Saran wrap, um, thin kind of like, uh, cloak sort of like plastic cloak to as a just in case (laughs) but i didn't i didn't actually think that it was going to rain that much in death valley and but it was like torrential downpour i mean for hours and i was like this sucks um and i you know so i kind of hunkered down and tried to stay out of the the rain as much as possible because of course that was in the evening and i was going to be going into a very cold night And so I was like, I have to try and try to stay as dry as possible and, um, ended up soaked. Anyway, I had a bivy sack with me that I thought was waterproof and it was not at all waterproof. And so I was like in that for a while. And then I noticed that everything was soaked and I was like, Oh, great. This isn't good. And so I just like, I, I think what I ended up doing I hunkered down underneath this piece of plastic and I like put my feet inside. I have a hyperlite um, backpack that's like yep. pretty waterproof-ish. Yeah. And so I put my feet inside that. Nice. And was like, okay, this is how we're going to get through. 
but it was still like every, I was soaked. Everything was soaked. And I was like, well, let's see if I can warm up by walking. But by the time I started moving again, my muscles had locked up yeah. my hips, my feet yeah. were like super swollen and, um, trying to walk in that mud was mm-hmm. impossible. Mm-hmm. I mean, the mud just like, it's the kind of mud that like cakes on and then just like gets thicker and thicker and thicker. And then it was also super slippery. So I was like sliding around with this extra like pounds on my feet with this mm-hmm. super heavy backpack. And I was like, I can't, right. I, I literally cannot do this. Like it's taking me right. two hours to go a mile. Like right. <laughs> there's no way. And so um, I made the decision to bail out on that. I was like 75 miles, maybe 75 miles or 80 miles. Mm-hmm. into it and um i also i knew that the next section coming up was going to be really really rough because um there's like a salt spring over there on that side of the valley that you have to kind of route find through and walk through and it's super muddy anyway and then after a big rain that was just going to be way worse and by the time you get to that point it's like bailing out is almost impossible. Sure. Um, so sure. I was like, okay, I have to, I have to make yeah. another really hard decision to, to bail out on this. I dumped all my water out except for a liter. And I walked out three miles to a spot where I could get picked up. <laughs> so, okay. So the first one, it's kind of <laughs> your, you're bad, right? It was, Hey, I didn't yeah, bring enough. Experience. I didn't bring really enough water. And so I'm going to, I'm going to come back with the second time. I'm going to bring five more, yep. which would make sense. Cause then you get to that last point, you got like nine cause you had four before. So now you have nine yeah. liters. Yeah. So that would be perfect. Unfortunately, the second time you go now, the weather takes a turn and it starts raining <laughs> in death Valley. <laughs> yeah. And yes. so you said you're talking about the Saran wrap type stuff. Did that work at I all? Mean- yeah, it was just like a, it was like an emergency rain poncho kind of, but Got it was it. like so thin. It was like saran wrap. It would just tear like really easily. Um, I couldn't think of the word poncho. So I was like, oh, what is, what do you call that tarp? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just like a, a little plastic emergency poncho that you buy at like a gas station. I know exactly um, what you're talking about. Yep, yeah. I, one. I threw it in last minute because I checked the weather and it was like, oh, there's a slight chance of rain. And I was like, yeah. oh it's not going to rain in death valley um but the thing about death valley is when it does rain it pours and it floods (laughs) yeah yeah so and because this is such a challenging route for you i'm guessing you're going to be planning on doing it again soon i would love to go back i actually was planning on (laughs) i mean this is not an announcement but i i would i'd love to go back in february um this year, like, so in like a month and yeah, the thing is, is if you wait beyond February, it gets too hot. Um, and it's just really hard because of the heat. Um, February is great. Usually in the beginning of February, because the weather is decent. Um, like it's not super hot during the day. It's not super cold at night, starting to warm up a little bit. Um, but right now because of like there were some crazy floods in august i think in death valley that like 
wiped out a bunch of roads. And so one of the access roads to get to the start is closed. Hmm. And that access road is actually, um, it kind of parallels the route for a ways. Um, and it's a really great way to bail out if you need to, because somebody can usually like drive in and pick you up, but because that road is closed, um, like bailing out in the first 80, 80 ish miles is almost impossible. Um, like you have to walk yourself out. (laughs) And so I'm kind of like, do I want to take that kind of a risk? Um, I mean, I'd love to do it, but that road is not set to open, um, anytime soon. And so I'm going to kind of like, that's a risk I need to consider and and think about and, and make a decision on. And not only that, like with that road being closed, there's fewer people going out there, which means that the wildlife are going to be like way more active than usual in, in the Valley. Um, cause like where people tread, like where people go a lot, yeah. there's usually like less wildlife. Right, um, right. and there's actually in death Valley, there's, there's a lot of wildlife and I've seen packs of like 15 coyotes and Typically yeah. I'm not afraid of coyotes, but like when you get a whole pack mentality, it's sure, a that's scary. creepy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I have seen mountain lion tracks in Death Valley. And especially at the start in the northernmost point um in this area called Last Chance Canyon. I've seen tons yeah. of mountain lion tracks in there. Yeah. And so yeah, I'm just I'm I'm not sure with the lack of people and the road yeah. closed. Yeah. <laughs> like if I want to take the risk. We'll see. Yes. Well, maybe it's a future plan in a couple of years or something like oh, that. Man. <laughs> I'm sure you have a, a lot of other plans that you want to do as well. So. Yes, but but Death Valley is that the Death Valley crossing is one of those that has just been following me a lot yeah. for like yeah. years. It's been years. Um well, so I, I'd love to get that one done. I, I have faith in you. I know you're going to complete it. <laughs> I, I, with everything that we just talked about, I mean, when I was doing research too, uh, you have something like 39 FKTs, something like that. So I have 57. Oh, okay. So this was an old article. It was in 21, I think, or 20. Yeah. And <laughs> okay. So folks, you hear, you hear it there. This is the FKT queen. I love it. This is so cool. This is so cool. So I asked some of my peeps on Instagram to give me some questions for you. And I did it quite late though. So I'm hoping that we got some questions because I only did it within like the last hour (laughs) because I just wasn't thinking, of course. So let's, let's take a look. We got some live. We got a live version here. Okay. We got from Becca. She lives in Oregon. I know I know her. Hi, Becca. Yeah. She's like, how? Okay, so this is kind of like a training one. Oh, boy. Knees. How to keep my damn knees in shape for big miles, especially on the downhills. This is, this is a very common question that I yeah. get frequently, too, as a trail runner. Yeah. Knees. I know knees can be challenging for a lot of people. I think I was blessed with some pretty resilient knees because I Uh haven't actually had knee problems. Um, except this last summer, I actually, um, I was wearing some shoes that I think didn't really work well for me. And I was doing a lot of downhill and ended up with some like, uh, patellar tendonitis type stuff. Um, I did too. 
it's I had annoying, that this isn't year it? Too. It sucked. <laughs> so it literally, like, I just got rid of it. Like the last like month, I haven't felt it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Super annoying. I was like, is this what people with knee problems are? Like, right. Is this, like, like it, this is awful. Um, but I also, so I, I train, I do train for that too. I train right. to try and keep my knees healthy. Oh, and it's something, especially after having that tendonitis issue, my trainer and I um, started working in exercises specifically for knees. And I don't know, have you seen the guy on Instagram, knees over toes guy? heard of it yeah i know rogan interviewed him once or something like that I've, that's yes. where i've heard of him yeah so there's this whole idea that like when you're working out doing lunges and squats and stuff like that that you're not supposed to let your knees go over your toes but the thing is is like in any functional like everyday situation like your knees go <clears> over <throat> your toes all the time like when you're squatting down to pick something up when you're like it's just it's it's very natural for that to happen right. Right. and so to not work the muscles through that kind of range of motion i think is um a poor choice <laughs> and so yeah. my my trainer and i and actually um his name is my trainer's mikey i think you've talked to him yeah actually, i just talked to him with, last week <laughs> yeah outdoor adventure training he's That's amazing right. and he worked some like very specific knee exercises into my program and so i do i do exercises like certain kinds of lunges where i i purposely put my knees over my toes and work through that range of motion um and some of the some of the movements are very small because you know like you, if you do have unstable knees there it's it can be hard on them um but i've noticed like over time you know i started some of these movement movements with zero weight so like no no dumbbells no barbells nothing um just body weight and now you know i'm working up to like i'm holding 40 pounds while i'm working through these movements and um, i can feel a difference in the strength in my knees and stability and so working they're like I, I would highly recommend checking out knees over toes guy and his movements and what he's got going on um if you're looking for a trainer check out Mikey, Mikey. outdoor outdoor adventure training um because he can he can create yeah, all sorts of programs that can help with knees if, if you have bad knees. Um, but yeah, I mean, lunges, squats, you know, uh, backward step up. So a lot of people get up on like a step and they like step up and then like just kind of fall down. So like really intentional movements, control stepping up and control stepping down, um, even stepping backwards up onto a step. Um, to you to like utilize your quads and your knees um wow. and like so work backward, those going backwards, backwards step up so if i had a yeah. step up behind me and then i step mm -hmm. on you're literally talking about like that yeah yeah but like low like you're not yeah. doing yeah you know, right <laughs> you're not yeah. doing 12 24 yeah. 40 no. inches you're oh, no. you're yeah it's like really low like four inches love um that. yeah i love that i I love it because <clears throat> I think a lot of runners are just not used to going to the gym and using weights and doing like leg movements and things like that, at least the ones that I know. And they're always the ones that are getting injured. Yeah. And there's a big, from what I've seen, there's a big correlation between people that are in the gym using weights and moving weights and not being as injured as frequently. And 
Yeah, I don't I don't know. I I I've seen it a lot in jujitsu. A lot of people like that same thing. They would always be getting her. I'm like, are you going to the gym? No, not going to the gym. Well, you can't. I mean, for me, it's like it's thinking about like bulletproofing my body. I'm like yeah. building this foundation that is going to be strong. And so when you're doing these huge efforts, it's not going to be an issue. The the one thing I found, I trained really good for my hundred. There was one exercise I never did or one area that I neglected. And that's what ended up just coming back to bite me at mile 80. And that was <laughs> my tibia. So I never did any kind of like, you know, you go, well, it would be planner flexing like your, your ankle, mm-hmm. right? With like a band or something. Never did that. I did everything else. I did squats. I did all this uphill yeah. stuff, this and that and this and this. Never did the tibia and it just blew up both of them at like mile 80. Oh man. So painful. And so, you know, going forward, that's something I'm now strengthening because everything else was fine, but yeah, strengthen those, you know, do you get in the gym peeps, get in the gym. It's so important. I mean, like I think about it as, you know, like, like you said, I'm bulletproofing, I'm stabilizing. I'm because I mean, when you're running, you're moving forward. Right. And there's like a very specific set of muscles that get involved with like that forward movement and like you neglect everything else. And so all of the muscles that help support, even when they're like not the main muscles that are being used when you're running, like it's really important to strengthen those that you do have that support. And I found like through strength training, like my, even my strength and control on unstable surfaces, you know, like I do a majority of my running on trail, um, my ankle, knee, hip, you know, mobility and stability and all of that is like improved. And I, my running is improved. I feel like things move more like a machine, like they're supposed to, like they, everything starts working together a little bit better. And yeah, it's just, I think it's, it's so important. And you talk to any um, any coach running coach, and they're going to tell like, yeah, strength training is important. Um, but it's, it's hard to implement when you spend hours and hours and hours running. Yeah. So, and, and, and it's tough because at first you're going to be super sore, especially if you're not used to weightlifting and then you're going to go try to run and you, your legs feel like lead. So, but there is a long-term, um, you know, consequence from that, which is a good, good consequence. Just like you're saying, I, I like to think of it as a, as a multivitamin for my body. Lifting is literally like a multivitamin for my body. I know my, my CPA, actually, my accountant actually is a big runner and he was, and he's an older guy. And he said, oh yeah, I've, I've cut down significantly my 50 K times, my 50 miler times by literally just strength training the last two years. Yeah. And it's just, it's just hard to ignore it. So I believe it. Yeah. 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 Well, and like, even though you're not using your arms and upper back and like right. yep. stomach, you know, like core, like they're not main muscles involved in running that stability and strength is so helpful. Like you notice like your, your shoulders and your upper body, like you have better movement in your core, like everything just like works together better when you yes. actually 
like strength yes. and everything. But... Yes, yes. And Becca, I'm not picking on you, by the way. You probably still go to this to the gym. People, you know, people injure their knees all their time, though. I mean, it's that is a gnarly part of your body that <laughs> yeah, if it's injured especially young or something, and it comes yeah. back to bite you. So, yeah. Yeah. Pounding down hills, that kind of oh, a thing. Yeah, it has, yes. can be really hard on your knees. Yes, yes. We have one from Wissy22. What is your go-to trail running shoe? My go-to trail running shoe? Oh, my gosh. So I I am not uh, – <laughs> I, I don't have, like, a specific shoe that I wear for everything. Yeah. Um, I wear lots of different shoes. I try lots of different shoes. Um, my The shoe that I keep going back to over and over again, just because it's a great all-around kind of shoe, is the Ultra Lone Peaks. Mm-hmm. Um, I've run, so I did the John Muir Trail in the Ultra Olympus, which I yeah, really liked those. I'm not a fan. Um, no? no? I, I did like the cushion um, for for that kind of thing. And I was doing mostly walking. Um, and so my, like my feet were fairly happy in the Olympus, but I do, I, I like the lone peaks as kind of an all around shoe. Um, if I'm doing something more like technical, um, you know, like scree mountainous, like scree talus scrambling, anything like that. Um, I tend to go more towards like a Solomon speed cross type shoe. They're like really aggressive. They're really grippy. Um, they're, uh, like not as wide in the toe box as like an ultra shoe. Um, and so I feel like I have more control if I'm on technical terrain. Um, I also really like the grippiness for steep or like rock. Um, so yeah. Um, I've dabbled in hokas a bit. I, I never found a hoka that like yeah. was perfect. Um, they I look know like a clown lot of people shoes. love them. I, they're super <laughs> comfy, but for running, for me, they just don't yeah. work super well. Yeah. Um, like yeah. Everybody's different, right? Yeah. And um, played around a little bit with the craft shoes, which craft has like a carbon plate in some of their trail runners. And they definitely like make you feel fast and responsive um and they have like some great grip but yeah. i really like a lot of ground feel when i'm running yeah. so that's one of the reasons that i really like the ultras and especially the lone peaks because they have enough padding to like make my feet happy but then enough ground feel that i feel like i'm still kind of connected to the earth yeah and they're super they're really they got some good traction good lugs on them i yeah. feel like yeah 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 yeah, I, so, I, uh, I would say, I guess maybe that's my go-to. <laughs> yeah, I, I use the temps for a little bit, but there's just not as much grip on the temps as there is on the Lone Peaks. Yeah. And we were doing some scrambling in the Wasatch, and I was wearing those temps, and it wasn't fun. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was scary. <laughs> like, yeah, was I've scary. I've gone through a few pairs of temps, too, and they, yeah, the, the I, I don't love the grip as much, and I think they have a little bit more padding, so, like, maybe not as responsive right 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 well cool there's a couple there's a few other questions but i don't want to take up your time anymore this was on i just got my little 10 minute 10 minute thing again (laughs) but i just want to say ashley you have been amazing you've done some quite amazing stuff we haven't even really like dug into like most of like anything that you've 
you've done. I mean, this is only like, we talked about two FKTs out of 57, you said? 57. We didn't even talk about Bhutan. <laughs> we don't even have Bhutan. Yeah. So I think we'll probably have to put a comma in this and make it for another podcast down the line. I, I would love to hear more about um, all of your FKTs and your adventures and Hey, maybe maybe you decided to go and do your <laughs> do your yeah maybe Death Valley one. maybe next time Death Valley will be done we'll have that to talk about <laughs> yes yes so I super appreciate it is there anything you want to plug for yourself guiding or anything like that or? oh man um, I'm always really bad at this part I feel like I should be better at it but <laughs> um, I mean I do have some pretty awesome sponsors like gnarly nutrition. Yes. Um, I really love Sawyer water filters, like some yeah. awesome people, awesome companies doing really great stuff for the world. Um, but yeah, um, I have a podcast called women of the wild. And I told you earlier that I haven't actually put out a new podcast in quite some time, but I do have like 20, I think 20 episodes that awesome. have a lot of value and really cool stuff with really cool people. So yeah, women of the wild, um, dot org, org. And look, I can send you this copy of this, this episode. You can put it up there too. Oh so, yeah. So then there we go. That's a good yeah, idea. I'll just like send it. you that over Google drive or something. Yeah. But yeah. So Gosh, dang it. Every time my mind goes blank on these podcasts sometimes. I always have like something that I'm going to say afterwards and then I forget what I'm going to freaking say. Anyway, I don't know. That's okay. It's been a great time talking <laughs> with you. And, it's been and awesome. I super appreciate you coming on. What people don't know is that we struggled for about 15 minutes before this podcast to even hear each other. And. <laughs> Sorry for the video quality. The next podcast, I'll have the, the camera up and it just wasn't working. And Ashley <laughs> told me what I was doing wrong. So I figured it out for next time. So yeah, yeah. You I got this. You. I believe in you. Yes. yes. <laughs> I appreciate you. You're an outstanding person. And oh, that was it. Instagram. What's your Instagram handle? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, speaking of play, see, I am really bad at this. I'm really bad at, at like marketing myself. <laughs> um, so my Instagram, um, I am pretty active on Instagram. My Instagram is ashley.winchester and Ashley is spelled without an E. So it's A-S-H-L-Y right. dot Winchester, like Winchester rifles yeah um, <laughs> right on and yeah so i'm pretty responsive um if anybody wants to like reach out say hi ask questions yeah. i'm i'm there yeah quick st quick story before we leave the i saw you had commented on one of my instagram posts one time and i was like oh, is that ashley winchester that gmt <laughs> fkt really and I was like, oh, sweet. And so it was that I was like, I'm definitely following her back. That was. That oh, was please. Cool. I, forget, I forget which post it was. But so so uh, one of my stupid posts, you know, that I do. And so anyway, I appreciate that. Fun. And we'll get you back on soon. Probably this yeah. year. That's cool. That'd be great. Yeah. I'd love yeah. it. This, so, this was fun. Awesome. All right. I'm going to stop the recording.